Good to see you this morning. Man, are you blessed? Yeah. Yeah, God, it's good. Have you ever got involved in something and thought, I didn't sign up for this? I did not sign up for this. Things went contrary, so things became complicated, and you thought, hmm, I can't handle it. I'm going to bail. There are times in your walk with the Lord that you will get very discouraged because a lot of things will happen, and you'll feel like bailing, but the thing you cannot do is afford to let those thoughts begin to uh, accumulate more junk along the way. You cannot afford that. You can't. When we were singing, man, how many, how many, how many just gets pumped up hearing that song, you know, Egypt? Oh, man. Whoa. Man, there's just something about the, the truth of that. He led me out of Egypt. Egypt. Uh, I don't know how, I'll mess all the words up. But he separated the water, basically, and uh, he led me by the hand. Um, there's something incredible about God and how he worked in the Old Testament. And who was the leader in this time in the Old Testament? Moses. Moses got the experience of being led out of Egypt. But I guarantee you, three, two days into his journey, when he got to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden he had everybody griping about him and everybody complaining, you've led us out here to be killed? Is that what, you, is that what you, your job was? He began to, maybe he didn't have any doubt, but I guarantee he had some second thoughts. And uh, I know one time he had a major breakdown. He told God, just take me out. Just take me because I didn't sign up for this kind of stuff. But especially during the Christmas time, it's really easy to think that way. Uh, Christmas has a lot of demands uh, on gifts and, and going to families and, and um, it's just a lot of headaches. Let's not forget why we have Christmas. There was five of us men we met this past week and, and uh, had a, a real good breakfast together. And, and, uh, but every one of them had some different take on what they thought about Advent. And you may wonder what Advent is. Advent is a whole lot of things. You can, you can Google it and there's a whole lot of things to it. But it's about the approaching day of Christ. It's about his return and uh, anticipating. But what am I going to do from this point till the day he comes? His birth, Christmas. And it's so important that you have a plan and that you directionalize some things in your life about self-restraint uh, and self-discipline. And uh, you just take the Advent season very seriously, and there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just a, in general. Um, I want to tell you that first of the year, from January 3rd through the 21st, the church is going to be doing a Daniel fast, not a Daniel fast, be doing a first fruits fast. And what it has to do with is, Last year, we did the Daniel fast, and it became a, uh, it became a little bit of a, uh, a circus, really. What can you eat and it be legal? And uh, how many guys in here ate a whole lot of all, the Whopper, the Amazing Whopper or something? What's it? Impossible Whopper. And I remember when you haven't eaten particular foods for several days, somebody said something about the Amazing Whopper, and Guess what? We were gone. And I went over and got one, and, and uh, it's, it's pretty lame compared to a real Whopper, all right? So this year we decided to do things a little more directional, a little more intentional. It doesn't matter what kind of fast you do. You may do a fast a day. You may fast every meal for three days. You may fast every meal for seven days. You may fast one meal a week or something like that. I know some people have dietary reasons that they can't have fasting a whole lot. But it's all about restraining ourselves and, and bringing things to, the, to our attention that we have to prepare for spiritually to strengthen us in the year to come. How many of us had a clue this was going to happen in 2020 back in January last year? Oh, my goodness. It drove us crazy. This year has drove us crazy. And we all have our opinions, and we're going to leave it right there, okay? God came near. There's a thousand different ways you can look at God came near. But he's come near to each and every one of us. Maybe we didn't recognize it. Maybe we did. If you're here, there's a reason you're here because God came near. For whatever the dynamics, the reason that you came and however you came, God came near. 
It all happened in a moment. And yes, I read this last week. You'll get it for the next three weeks. It all happened in a moment. A most remarkable moment. God came near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one but, but one whose first cries were held, were heard by a peasant girl and a carpenter. The hands that held him were, were not manicured at all, but were callous and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party. He came near for you. Everything that we say in this, this series or whatever about Christ came near, you have to realize, you have to be the one to make the decision. Christ will not come down and his Holy Spirit cannot infiltrate into your heart if you're not going to let him. You just can't. And um, so we're going to look at scripture and go from there. Let's go to the book of Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are too small to be among the army groups from Judah, from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. He comes from very old times, from days long ago. The Lord will give up his people. The Lord will give up his people unto the one that is having a baby and gives birth. Then the rest of his relatives will return to the people of Israel. It was prophesied, and there were so many scriptures in the Old Testament about the arrival of Christ, that he would come, and he would come as a, a babe born of a virgin, and, and he had a unique calling on his life. He was the son of God, and nobody really understood him. You know, when he came, and the Magi came from the east, and they saw his star, has anybody thought this week about the star that's going to come on December 21st? Oh, man, is that not? The signs of the heavens declare his goodness and declare his coming and declare everything about him. So uh, first time in 800 years, and I thought that was kind of a, a unique thing in each of her life. This Jesus was anything but spectacular. And what the world expects is spectacular. But he would focus his attention on the Jewish people. You know, the reason that he was so um, not embraced and not welcome is that people thought he would come with grandeur, but he did not. He came from Bethlehem. And it just so happened that that year, that year, there was a census. And what is a census? Accounting to the people. And the Romans are the ones that orchestrated it. But they didn't have a clue that this was the year the Savior would be born. Because he would never, ever come to Bethlehem to be born if it had not been for a census. It's amazing in our life how God puts orchestrates things even from a pagan or a, a heathenistic government. In our lives, there's things that happen in our government that is about promoting us to become more like Christ, to pursue more of the things of Christ. They have nothing to do with their, their self, but they have to do with Christ. It set the stage for his nature, who he was and what he was like. He was going to be a leader who would give value to people and give hope to everyone that encountered him. And I want you to remember, remember that. He brought hope to people who had no hope. This is hundreds of years before Christ came. It was a prophecy. Now, if you'll go with me to Exodus chapter 32. I don't know, I've never really, I tried to do a little research and, and find out some information more about this, but coming off the mountain is, a, is, a, um, is something that I think we can all relate to. Have you ever heard of anybody talking about they're on top of the mountain? Man, they're on top of the mountain, they're on top of their game. And so what are you thinking? It's easy, life's good. But they have to come down from the mountain to do bring and distribute all that they have. And we're going to read a story about it, uh, Moses. And Moses seen so many works of God and so many things that God had done. We'll get to them in just a minute. Verse 15. Then Moses went down the mountain. And in his hands he had two stone tablets with the agreement on them. The Ten Commandments. 
The commandments were written on both sides of each stone, front and back. God himself had the tablets. God himself had made the tablets. And God himself had the written had written the commandments on the tablets. So when Joshua heard the sound of the people shouting, he said, Moses, it sounds like war down in the camp. And Moses answered, it is not a shout of, it is not a shout of victory. It's not a, a cry of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And I began to think about all these people. Just 40 days, only 40 days, and they become so discouraged in their leadership. 40 days only. And they've given everything up. They forsook their God and they made themselves a God. You know, this, you may not know the story, but the story was Aaron uh, took all of their gold and he formed it into a calf. He melted it down and became a calf. Or it became a calf. He made it a calf. And they said, that'll be our God. In 40 days, these people who once who had seen the, the Red Sea open up and, and close, and they'd seen manna fall every day, and, and all the other 10 plagues that they'd seen in Egypt that they, they were uh, uh, abandoned from, or, and God didn't bring the judgment upon them. They'd seen all this happen in a period of a few years, and now they're in the desert and the wilderness, and they got to have something to worship. When Moses came close to the camp, he saw the go calf and the dancing, and he became very angry. Let me tell you something. How many felt like dancing a while ago when we, we sang out of Egypt? I'm serious. I'm going to show you. I want you to show your hand if you felt like dancing. Why did we not all just get up and, I don't mean nothing weird, but you got up and start dancing. Why not? These people were dancing automatically because they had a golden calf, something to worship, we have a, a king. We have the Lord of hosts that, that done so many things, even in the, old, in the times of the Old Testament. I cannot hardly contain myself. Moses came down to the camp. When he saw the golden calf, dan calf and the dancing, he became very angry. And he threw down the stone tablets that he was carrying, and he broke them at the bottom of the mountain. Then he took the calf that the people had made and melted it into to the fire. He ground it into powder, and then he threw the powder into the water and forced the Israelites to drink it. Not very godly response, I don't think. It wasn't counted as sin, but there was something about him. He was righteously indignant. He was fed up. He was mad. How dare them! 40 stinking days. I'm up there meeting God on whose behalf? Theirs. And they had clear direction, understanding, and a purpose in their life. And then they stink and make a calf. And Y'all can drink the water. Come here. Get a big, big pool of water, whatever. Grant it all up. I sin with files right now. I don't know how they done it, but they done it. And he made them drink it. They could consume what they had made. Moses went down with the Ten Commandments, been in the direct presence of God. Isn't it amazing? Every time that you have a high experience or a great experience with God, every time, the next day or maybe that day, something will happen that tries to take the air out of your cells. I don't know why it happens like that. Well, I do know why it happens like that, but it happens all the time. It's, it's kind of like you can't stay on the mountaintop. You can't have an experience that's so great because there's always somebody willing to bring you down or somebody's going to build a, a, a golden calf at the bottom every time. But he had been in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but if I'd been in the presence of God, I would hope I could contain and keep some of the presence of God. But he didn't. Joshua and Moses heard a troubling sound, and, you know, verse 18, Moses' anger began to swell up. You know, it's kind of like a dad. Uh, Tyson and Layton, they could probably tell you from experience about things I freaked out about and I shouldn't have. But uh, let's say the old schoolhouse. So over there listening to something or whatever upstairs, and I get on the first landing, and I go, oh, great. And as I start climbing the stairs, I get a little more agitated every step I take. And when I finally get to the threshold of the top and, and I start to go to the room, this never, this never happened. It never did. But I just feel the anger or, or aggravation welling up within me. There's something about us that we just operate in the flesh sometimes, and that's exactly what Moses had done. 
He was angry, he was frustrated. It was building up and he became angry. Why was he so angry? He was disappointed that the people were not any farther than they were. He was disappointed that they already just fell back into their old ways, into the ways of Egypt. And it's amazing that we can, we can come so far and God can bring us so far, but just something begin to disappoint you or something begin to not go your way, you begin to regress back to your older ways. He broke the Ten Commandments, ground it up. And the people never said anything about the water, but they drank it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. God came near. God came near. What we're going to read over the next few scriptures is about Christ. And the sacrificial giving that he did and the action that he took and just unique and how it happens here in chapter 8. Let me, let me preface this with, with chapter 8 is not what this story is all about. You have to go back to chapter 7, chapter 6, and chapter 5. And then even before that, you had to go back to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is when all of everything about his ministry was getting ready to begin. And he spent 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days days in the wilderness alone and he was tempted of the enemy and then you go to chapter 5, 6, 7 we'll get back to that in just a minute but chapter 8 when Jesus came down the hill or off the mountain the great crowds followed him then a man with a skin disease came to his man the man bowed before him and said Lord you can heal me if you will and he reached out his hand and he touched the man and said I will be healed and immediately the man was healed from his disease then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this, because, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift to Moses and the commanded for the people uh, who are made well. This will show the people what I have done. I want to just begin to pick your mind and begin to set up this, this, um, this meeting, if you will. Jesus just finished teaching and preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go to that in just a minute. We're going to re, uh, really try to reiterate what actually went on the Sermon on the Mount. He came, off of a, he came off the mountain. I want you to notice the difference between Moses coming down the mountain, and he began to hear stuff, and he got agitated, and he became mad. Jesus came off the mountain, and somebody was there to greet him. Who was there to greet him? The leper. A leper was not allowed to greet him. There's other places, other accounts in Scripture, at the, like the lepers, they yelled from a long ways off, Lord, unclean, unclean, but if you will heal us. Remember the, other, the account with the several um, lepers? And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And all the way they were healed. And the one came back and said, I'm th I'm, thank you, Lord, for your, your healing. Okay, slow my brain down a little bit, okay. Um, he came off the mountain with a different objective. He saw somebody who was right in front of him, and he greeted him. I want you to notice something else that he done. He had an understanding that he came to make a difference. It's amazing. Christ knew his purpose. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days. He had been in chapters. He had been speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to give you the topics in just a moment. But he spent hours and hours going from subject matter, subject matter, subject matter. And now he comes off the, off the mountain to test his faith. He was really encouraged. A lot of people came to hear him, and as soon as he comes down, there's somebody there to oppose him. He wasn't a negative opposing, but he was still there nonetheless. The proper response would have been, oh, wait a minute, back off. But Jesus entertained him, and Jesus touched him. The fact that Jesus touched him was, was pretty big in itself. It was. The fact that he touched him at all. Did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? So why in the world would he touch someone who was a leper? See, in, in Jewish traditions, or not 
Jewish traditions and customs over there. If you had, if you were a leper, you had a skin disease, that was a sign of judgment from God upon you. There is something wrong in your life, and you allowed just uh, some kind of sin to enter in, and that was his way of judging you. And so they put a lot of stereotypes upon people who had skin diseases such as leprosy. Jesus was having to reach out into something he'd never maybe seen before. Well, we know he'd never seen it before. Why? Because he'd never seen the leper after he taught for several days, after he came out of the wilderness. It was his first test. It was his first challenge. It was his first opportunity. And he went and made a difference. So what did Jesus teach in chapters 5? Six and seven. He began to teach about everything there was under the sun. Everything you could relate to. Jesus taught on his action that he took. Because all these things are compiled in how he, how he carried himself in his life and ministry. He taught the Beatitudes in chapter five. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. There's something about this scripture than salt and light. How many of us have heard somebody speak from salt and light? Absolutely. There's something about how we live. There should be salt or light. We are the salt and the light of the earth. The importance of the law. Well, if, it was, if, it, if the law was so important, why did Jesus touch the man? Jesus was just as guilty as he was because Jesus touched him. And so now Jesus is going to spread the disease. It's amazing. He had respect for the law. Because law kept everything in perspective most of the time. He taught on anger, retaliation, forgiveness, adultery. Adultery. What did he say about the adultery? If you commit adultery, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing in the physical act. But he explained it a little bit differently. And every person, every person in here is guilty. If you look on the opposite sex and you lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Divorce, keeping the power, the power of keeping your word. How many people don't know how to keep their word? That no retaliation. We're not supposed to retaliate if someone slaps us or somebody asks us to go to a mile, go a second mile. Someone slaps us on the right cheek, we turn to him the other. That you're supposed to love everyone. Because the Jews were known for their, their bitterness and their, their judgmental spirits and on holding grudges against certain people. And Jesus was everything but that. Giving and why you give. The attitude in your giving. Prayer. How you pray. When you should pray. Worship. Hypocrisy in your giving. And then just in hypocrisy, period. Worry and fretting. And here's one that most of us probably, maybe a lot of those don't fit our lives, but the next one will. Judging others, hypocritical. Exemption of self when we do things. Seeking God. The golden rule. Who knows the golden rule? It's whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? Matthew 7, 12, there was one scripture I used when my boys were little all the time. I said, guys, Matthew 7, 12, and they used to quote it. Whatsoever you do, you would, the people would treat you, you treat them the same. The narrow gate. Reputation. What you're known for. And this is one of the last topics he spoke on in chapter 7 before we went to chapter 8. It's amazing. We go through some of the same, same things. Some of you this morning, that song, I tell you, it just elevated my spirit and, and, and emotions and everything all combined. But it's amazing what we can do. We can fall on our face so easily when we go out the doors. Get with our family, get with someone else who maybe challenges us. Jesus had the biggest test of his ministry starting right off. After he came out of the wilderness, preached all these things, the first thing he sees is, wow, here's a man with leprosy. And he touched him. 
Christ in these four verses, one, two, three, and four, he brought hope. Everything in this season is about bringing hope. Everything about what we proclaim, Christ came near, God came near, is about bringing hope. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you sat in this church or sat in another church. You become so church that you're unattainable. You're unapproachable. So what does this hope bring? Hope of change in your personal life. Hope of change in a culture that you're currently living in or you lived in your past. We hear about culture in our church many times, about changing culture, and that's, that's cool. But how many of us grew up in the wrong kind of culture in our house? Or maybe the wrong kind of culture with our relationship with our parents or with our spouse? It's hard, and, and we feel like a hypocritical because we can't seem to break through these things. But Christ came, and he gave us hope even for that. He brought hope to those that are eternally bound. Seem like you have repeatedly been defeated, been defeated, been defeated. And he's telling you there is great hope in himself. He brought hope to the desperate. He brought hope to the hopeless. And I'll just stop for just a minute. I want to go back to chapter 8 just a second. What exactly did this man meet? What exactly did this man experience when Jesus touched him? Was it just a feeling? It might have been a feeling, but what else was it? It was evidence that something had happened. I don't think Jesus, I think part of Jesus preparing for ministry was what he taught. He brought hope to the hopeless. He brought hope to the confused. He brought hope of when there was no hope to be found. He brought hope to the sex addict. He brought hope to the alcoholic, to the drug user, to the gossip, to the hater, to the violent, the bitter, the proud, the unlovable, the hypocrite. And Jesus loved each of these. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. God came near. He's come near in so many ways in our lives. So many things we've experienced was simply because he came near. The United States of America would not be in existence if God had not come near. You may think sometimes that we are so far from, from where, we, where we should be, and you're right. But God would not have given you the blessing and the direction in your life without him coming near us. So why did Jesus touch this leper? Would I have touched him? Kind of like you shared this morning in the pre-service meeting. If it had been me, I probably wouldn't have touched him either. I would have said, go show yourself to the priest. I pray for you from here. But it takes a bold, it takes a bold step in each of our lives to really believe. And Jesus did. I want to ask you a question. You may not think like this. You may not have ever thought of this. Who was the last person to touch the leper? Who was the last person to touch the leper before Jesus did? How many years or months or whatever, probably years, and maybe you didn't have a nose, maybe not an ear, maybe not a hand, fingers, whatever. Everybody was afraid to touch him. When you have people up here praying and, and you go up behind somebody, you don't have to, nothing spectacular, but you just go, it's amazing. It has nothing to do with the person standing up, but the person, if you just go lay your hands on somebody, it is, it's amazing how many people become emotional. I didn't, pray, I didn't say anything. I just come to pray. I may talk to them in a minute or two, but I lay my hands, as soon as I lay my hands, or you lay your hands on, they get emotional. What is it, the emotions behind a touch? 
See, we think Jesus is far removed. But is he? It's amazing. We need a touch that only he can give. And he is not too proud. and He is not too removed from touching and moving into each of our lives. The touch. You know, I talk about babies. We have a, a new little baby poppy over here and, and uh, been on Facebook and pictures. And, and she is a beautiful little girl. Some of you are saying, how did he remember her name? Because there's not many poppies in this world, all right? And she is as precious as she, she can be. And Jake is excited and Nikki are. But you think when you look at her, you can't help but touch him, touch her. But you take Jesus when you watch this man walk up to him and it's obvious what was wrong. If his nose is hanging off or fell off and just a nasal cavity or, or his lips or his ears, whatever happened. And you looked at him and most people would be turned away. Listen, this morning, you may think that Jesus would be turned away with you, but he isn't. That is what is so unique and so powerful about Christ. It doesn't matter what he sees in you or what you used to be or what you've always been. Nothing turns his stomach. He looks for an opportunity to speak into your life. I'm so glad Jesus looked, in my looked into my life. He touched my life when I was a young kid. About third grade, I've, you know, I've heard this story before, a lot, most of you have, but it just made a difference. Not that I was the best looking kid, and not that I was the most gifted kid, and not that I was the most talented kid or anything else. He just looked at me and he had mercy and he spoke to my heart. At a young age, about right here, A lot of times we think we can work our way into our salvation. You can't. You have to come to Christ, being honest. You have to come to come to Him with warts and all. Doesn't matter what He sees, and He's never grossed out by anybody. You can think of the most gross person you know. They're not. Jesus is not grossed out by that person. Jesus entertains that person. Jesus wants that person to come and acknowledge that they need Him. I'm going to say this, if you're here and you don't know him, you don't know him, well, how do you know him? How do you get to know him? There's a couple, there's a lot of ways we get to know him, but the first one is being honest with yourself, saying, Father, or saying, Jesus, I'm not perfect, and you see all my blemishes and all my failures, you see my past, how riddled it is, it is with junk in my life, but I'm coming to you right now because I'm ready for change. This is Christmas season. Christmas, about giving, about the Christ child. What a shame it would be we go through another Christmas season and you end up the same way you've always been. And then you may be someone, maybe you just feel kind of dirty and you walk with the Lord. You need to get some things fixed. Repentance, not because of his judgmental looks, but because of his love for you. I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who you are. If there is a deficiency in your spiritual life and your walk with the Lord, it may have been great at one time and now it's become anemic. If you know you need that back, or you need it for the first time, we're going to sing, but I want you to come and find your place to pray. Get alone. Express your feelings to God. doesn't matter how you pray because He knows it. He knows what you mean by getting up out of your seat and coming to an altar and finding a place to pray. Would you come?